knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com We are hunters, anglers, riders, and sometimes chefs. Our passion for the outdoor lifestyle motivated the foundation of Harvesting Nature, which serves as a media outlet built to inspire and educate the outdoor expert and novice alike. Our podcast focuses on the technical side of cooking wild fish and game, while also incorporating adventures and lessons learned from our pursuit of wild meat. Join us on our journey of Harvesting Nature. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. you got your host here, Justin Townsend. And uh, today I am on the road back south with AJ. Um, you guys? We dropped his dad off at the airport yesterday. We've been driving for two days now. Uh, heading back down towards Austin from, from where we were hunting at up in Wyoming. And as many of you probably already did, we had our, our antelope episode here just uh a week or so ago and now we're going to talk a little bit about the second part of our trip which was uh focused on mule deer and uh man we have a lot to talk about uh because it was an eventful what four days five days uh it was solid four days yes solid four days with one day of was it five with scouting total or four total uh, it was, it was, we started Thursday, uh, right and early, which was uh, so. scouting slash hunting day, but mostly scouting, so a new area. Yep. And then uh, yeah, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Sunday was supposed to be an easy day, and we'll get <laughs> to that later on, but yeah, four, four solid days. Yep. And then, um, so, first off, sort of like the expectation, this, this year was, wasn't the first year that we doubled down on tags. But it was the first year that we doubled, and I, I mean that by, like, doubling down on species, uh, antelope, and then mule deer. But it's the first deer that we had um, that we drew antelope buck tags and antelope mule deer tags and kind of compressed it into the same trip. And I think hindsight being 2020, we, we've discussed this over a couple times now, and I think we would break it. We would break it up. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, it, plus we had doe tags for antelope. So it's three tags to fill and seven hunting yep. days. Um, and basically the stars have to align, you know, weather-wise, uh, hunting pressure, some luck with the animals. Um, so it, it creates a, a challenging situation. And I think for for us in particular, expectation going into it, we knew I was a little nervous from the get-go, but not obviously nervous enough that I wasn't going to hunt. And I was more nervous, uh, so we had, to add a little more complexity to it, we'd planned to camp, 
while we were uh, hunting for mule deer, kind of up and away. Uh, we decided against it when we started hearing stories of guys' tents getting blown away while they were <laughs> out hunting. Uh, literally, the wind um, on an easy day out of those, I mean, even when we were antelope hunting, out of the entire 70 day, seven days, an easy day, the wind was pushing like 20 knots. Yeah. That's like 25 miles per hour for you non-nautical folk. Yeah, it got uh, su- super windy, um, cold, and not just, you know, chilly, but um, dangerously cold. Yeah. And so our plan was to camp about 7,400 feet, um, about, you know, 60 miles or a two and a half hour ride on dirt roads nearest town. Um, and, you know, we're, we're fairly young and, and fit men, but uh, my father's with us too, and um, it's a little older and not accustomed to backcountry kind of camping. And mm-hmm. we thought, you know what, this just didn't feel right, didn't feel comfortable. And so hearing those stories about those elk hunters coming back and finding just their tent stakes and the tent, yeah. the tent was somewhere in Nebraska probably. <laughs> um, yeah, we decided to change our strategy. And I think it worked, it, it worked out well because we ended up being a little more mobile, uh, which allowed us to explore more country and um, – but definitely the expectation, thinking about it, going into the hunting part, like camping aside, looking at just the hunting. And uh, for me, uh, this was my first mule deer, like, buck hunt, so I was pretty excited. Um, we'd seen mule deer all over the place in Wyoming in the past, so I didn't, I didn't picture it being a difficult hunt. Uh, but I knew it wasn't going to be, like, super easy, like, you walk out there and they're just going to be everywhere. Um, one thing I was not expecting was the amount of pressure, uh, from other hunters and they, they were literally, cause it, it also it overlaps. So we hunted a different zone than we originally hunted for antelope and we were sticking strictly to public land or land access, uh, like a land access program, which, which we'll get into, which is still the equivalent of public land. Um, but yeah, just the amount of people. Uh, on that, so we kind of stuck by a general rule. We always like you just got to be willing to hike, hike further than than the average Joe is going to go, and uh, we kind of stuck with that strategy. We we tried to the first day, uh, moving around a little bit, and it, it, the cold and stuff it just kind of hindered us. Uh, we did check out some country, and we saw some deer. Uh, actually, AJ's dad, our first like in in route to where we were going on our first day. Uh, we saw a set of deer cross the road. Actually, they weren't even cross the road. They were in the river bottom mm-hmm. as we were driving, and it was literally like opening light. So it yeah. was just legal shooting time. We were like, stop, stop, stop. So we stopped, checked them out, glassed them. It was uh, like three doe and a little forky. Probably had to be a year and a half old deer because he was about the same size as the doe. So uh, AJ's dad was kind of on deck to take the, the first animal. And he's like, ah, do you want to take it? I mean, he literally had the deer in his crosshairs as we were having the conversation. <laughs> and um, I was like, I'm not going to take it. It's the first day of a four-day hunt. Like, you know, I, I generally stick to the rule, like, don't pass up on what you would take the last day. But that was like a, a very small deer in comparison to a lot of other mule deer. And in that situation, wasn't going to do it. So I told him, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, but you're welcome to do it. And he... uh he opted not to, 
Um, and then they kind of moved on, and then, then we moved on as well. So um, I was kind of going to that moment. I skipped over, like, your expectations. <laughs> um, no, I think expectations are uh, it was a new zone. I had not hunted, did some e-scouting, uh, had not stepped foot on it, so not familiar with it. Um, I talked to a game warden as part of planning, so I had a sense of what to expect. Um, but going there and seeing it the first time is that really gives you a good understanding of what you're going to be up against. And um, yeah, the pressure was more than I expected. Um, we were definitely in the backcountry, and there was you know vehicles and people, um, you know, pretty common sight. Uh, definitely roadways, a lot of road hunting going on, and just glassing the roadways. Um, so that was a, a surprise, but, um, yeah, the weather was a surprise too, made it very challenging. Um, and I would say as far as the, you know, the amount of deer we saw, we saw deer every, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as long as you put some miles under your boots and knew kind of where, where to look for them, you know, we could find them. There's just finding mature bucks was a challenge, which, um, you know, we did find some, which we'll get to in a little bit, but, um. Yeah, I mean, I we had three tags to fill, and I said I, I thought if we filled one out of three, did great. You know, two out of three is a home run, and three out of three is is legend. So, um, you know, we can get to that later, but um, that was my expectation. Yeah, um, I think so. Our strategy kind of for the first day was just to kind of go out and move around, since we weren't going to be camping. Back there, we decided we still wanted to go out and look at the the area where we were going to be camping, and like in route, we were going to stop at some of the the other parcels of public land and just kind of hike in and glass around and move around and see what we could see. And what we ended up seeing a lot was, aside from like one spike buck and a group of like eight doe, which we put a really good stock on. Um, <laughs> uh, the spike buck we saw at like eight hundred yards on an, an adjacent ridge and that's a good spot it was yeah it, yeah. it was cool it was I, I really it's like i was a little nervous at first glass and i was like can i get back into it like riding a bike and then all of a sudden boom i was like oh there's a deer glassed him up and he just stared at us and as a matter of fact he kept staring at us as we were like moving around that ridge until a truck drove the road like directly above him and i mean directly above him like 10 yards yeah directly above him and then he got nervous and like hopped up ran over the road and was gone but um, that was that was pretty much the only deer we saw on that spot of land. Then we did get up towards where we were going, and then the road got a little a little uh, squirrely for what we were what we were not hoping for. Yeah, yeah, and um, we did see three more doe yep. on that first spot for, just as we were leaving, coming out. Um, but a lot of pressure on the roads, trucks were on the roads and the ridges, so you had to get down and hike in the ravines and, you know, look at areas that the road hunters couldn't see, and that's where you'd find, uh, you'd find some animals. So there's a lot of sign of that ravine. Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's a good spot. It just gets a lot of pressure, especially opening day. And sort of our, our strategy for looking for places where the deer would be bedded, because the wind, too, I think the wind that day was like oh, was 25 terrific. to 30. Yeah, it's ripping. It, it, it was cold. It was yeah. very cold. That was probably the coldest day in the field I think we had. Yeah. Yep. And um, so we would look for deer basically on the wind was north northwest, 
So it, we would look for the southeast facing slopes. Uh, south, south, I would say south by southeast facing slopes. That way they were tucked up out of the wind. And that's generally every time we spotted deer, that's where they were. Um, so yeah, we got up to the other ridge, which was more like very craggly, a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Definitely some mountain lion country up there. Um, but we didn't, we saw some sign in that one, but it, it just wasn't comfortable. And it was a steep hike in, a steep hike out. And I think it both, both made you and I a little nervous with your dad. Yeah. The terrain got kind of rugged. And, um, I think at that moment we did that first exploratory hike in that ravine. And, uh, after that, we said, you know what, let's let's transition to Plan B and uh, move to lower elevation. I mean, it's still around 5,500 feet or 6,000 feet, but different terrain, more of the, um, you know, the, the sagebrush flats with, uh, you know, the ravines in it with, um, you know, your pine and some cover there and more of those, those plateaus. So a little easier to, to get around um, just to make it, you know, a little more safer for all of us. Yep. And so from that spot, that was like near where we were originally going to camp. So, uh, which also had a lot of pressure too. Uh, so yeah. we, we thought we were going to be pretty solo up there minus like some elk hunters and stuff like that, but it was pretty, it was pretty crowded. Um, so from there we, we relocated back to the east, um, eastern part of our zone, like AJ said, where the train was a little better. And as we were kind of spotting, at that point, it was late in the afternoon. And we were like, all right, what spots are we going to check out tomorrow? Uh, maybe find a spot for like an, an evening sit or just something super simple. So we were on our way out and uh, spotted a, a herd of doe, which, which your dad and I put a great stock on. Um, again, stocking skills are on par. But um, then... While you while we did that, you pulled over uh, that we'd passed this like a small camp of like a, a couple of young guys and uh, a little like driveway type thing yeah. where they were camping on some BLM land, and uh, AJ pulled in there and chatted with them. Yeah, I wanted to chat those guys up. They had a couple of nice antelope on their packs, and um, first I asked if I could park the truck there, and they said sure, no problem, we're leaving. And then got out and spoke to them. They're from Ohio and um, had a great uh, antelope hunt that day. Um, took some just slammer bucks uh, and packed them out probably about four miles, I'm guessing, over a huge plateau. And, um, you know, told them we're after mule deer and um, started looking at Onyx maps. And, you know, they're sharing intel from earlier that day about what they saw in the back part of this land. Um, you know, they weren't hunting mule deer, but saw quite a few, saw a lot of sign. And so that gave us uh, a lead for the next day, um, and which we felt good about because that was a success for day one, was kind of scouting. Got some good intel to use for the next day. Yep. So that day we planned, we, we found a good access point with that, which actually ended up being, uh, it's a, a, a bit of private land that was completely surrounded by state, Wyoming state land and BLM land. But the private land had an access uh, for hunters, and it was walk-in only, which is good because one of the challenges that we had seen was vehicles on the road, uh, on the two tracks and stuff. So, you know, anything from ATVs to mules to full-on four-wheel drive trucks we saw. 
and uh, that kind of definitely disturbed a lot of the game. So with this, it was only walk-in and horses. When we initially got to the gate that morning, we saw there were some guys that had a horse camp set up, which not not a big concern. Um, there were also three guys that went in ahead of us that we saw, which uh, I, I think based on the way they were moving around, they were hunting antelope because it was also, like I said, a, con- a congruent time period with, uh, with antelope season for that zone. And other than that, it was that was just us yep. uh, for the initial part. And the way this property was, where we were targeting to get to was still about three miles uh, back in this property. Mm-hmm. So we'd planned, for, we'd planned for a long hike. We had uh, our packs on. Um, everybody had their pack, at least two liters of water. We had jet boils and uh, some house. We'd planned to do lunch back in the back uh, once we were back there as well. And it was kind of the plan to move through and, and see what we saw. The first part was kind of a gentle slope down. At least the first mile and a half, mile and three quarters was, was pretty yeah. much just antelope country. Yep. Um, we did spot one herd on the way, and I think may have spooked a couple off of it the those three guys were stalking but we didn't move that whole herd and i don't ever know if they got back on that herd i would like to hope that they did i, I don't think we spooked that herd because we saw the herd <clears throat> we had the sun at our backs so we were hard to spot from the analyst perspective but we got off the, the two track and made an effort to be concealed from that herd yeah to not mess up their antelope hunt and we started climbing that that bluff. That herd was, for the most part, still there. A couple of stragglers peeled yep. away, but they were they were there, and I think largely undisturbed. So we got back on that, and it was kind of it was a challenging point. Is we're moving because I guess the the rancher that owned the land uh, had sheep on and off. We came across one at one point, mm-hmm. um, so it was hard to discern antelope poop, sheep poop, deer poop. poop. All those things. I'm sure somebody very specific and scientific can tell me the difference, but to my untrained, uneducated eye, I uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference. So uh, it made it a little harder for sign. But we were going back in like in true faith. Like those guys had no reason to uh, you know to fib to us and tell us stories. Like they were done. We weren't competing for resources or anything. So uh, we continued on, and AJ found a shed. Did you find the shed before? No, no. First you found the deadhead. I found the deadhead. Yeah. So we were like at the point where we were approaching this like, I would say square mile area where they kind of pointed out there's probably deer here. Yeah. <coughs> and I was super stoked because AJ had been finding sheds uh, throughout the places that we were going and I had not. And uh, I found a whole skull uh, with antlers on it, probably like a two year it was starting to get pretty brittle, but I was excited about it nonetheless. So I broke off from them, and uh, they started up the side of this bluff where we were going to do, like, our heaviest exploring. of That's where the mule deer are. Well, I get down probably about 50, 60 yards from where they are at the base of this, and they were kind of, like, working their way up the ridge. I was watching them, and unbeknownst to AJ, I see two doe at the top of the ridge. But simultaneously, when I see that, him and his dad had taken their packs off, which is an indicator of like, hey, we're stalking, um, and they were going to stalk over this ridge, and you guys had no idea the deer were there. 
when I took my pack off, I, I had spotted the herd at that time. Okay. So I was creeping up that hill and then kind of glassing as I saw more and more of the terrain above me. And then first thing I saw were uh, the antlers of, yep. of that mature buck in the herd. And I peeked up and I saw he was with another mature buck that had his head down. And I think six doe were there. So at that point, I you know, realized there were two mature deer in this, this herd about 150 yards away. Um, so peeked down and uh, whispered to my dad, you know, take a pack off. There's two mature bucks. Put a good stock on them. And it wasn't a far stock. So we had the, the hill uh, protecting us. Mm-hmm. So we only stalked about maybe, you know, 30, 40 yards. So we got on top of the hill uh, in prone position in a good spot to lay down, look at them. Um, but something happened next that's never happened to me before is that um, what I didn't see was a herd of antelope just off to the right about the same distance away. Um, there's a sagebrush in the way I didn't see them. And the antelope herd commingled with the mule deer herd. And we're on this hill pinned down. You've got antelope, really good eyesight. You can't move. You got mule deer. They can hear everything. They can smell really good. So, you know, I, I realized that time is likely running out for us. Um, and so we lay there for only a few minutes, maybe two or three minutes, um, just trying to get a, a decent uh, shot at this buck. They're all bunched I- up. I, I want to throw this out there. I, I think, too, that they, they weren't – this area hadn't been pressured as hard, one, because it was, like, two miles back. Yeah. Um, but, two, because two of the doe out of that herd saw me, and I'm guessing saw you at some point from that ridge down. Or at least they saw me down in the field. Yeah. Uh, because I definitely saw them, and they looked, and they kind of, like – they didn't run off like they were scared, but they kind of moved moved away, and I was like, well – all right, we'll see what happens here. So they may have very well just been just at the top of that ridge, or they could have been a little ways off, and those two doe were just separate mm-hmm. from them. But I, I don't think they were – they weren't pressured. Their behavior wasn't acting as though they'd been pressured, so that definitely, I think, helped the stock in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd agree. The deer were, were pretty relaxed. Um, antelope were a little more on edge. But that's antelope in general. Um, that was a good size herd too. It's about a dozen antelope. There are about three nice bucks in there. Um, not that we're targeting them, but nice to see them. Um, and sure enough, the uh, antelope uh, kind of spook and run over the ridge and take the deer with them, except for one mature buck who didn't quite know what was going on, um, was standing there broadside quartering away and just kind of looking around, not not panicked and so i kind of motioned to my dad um to kind of you know get in position take the shot um quick back and forth about you take the shot i'll take the shot i said no dad take the shot um and and he did and um 104 yards away and you know dropped right down which is great um you know this is his first mule deer it might be his his one and only yeah it was pretty awesome i uh once I saw you guys kind of move over the ridge, I worked my way about halfway up the ridge, but still hung hung back so that I wasn't cresting the uh, the ridge line uh, at the time that you guys were potentially stalking. Oh, look, there's some deer. Um, which was, uh, yeah, I didn't want to spook anything. I didn't want to be that guy. So I just hung back, and then I heard the shot go off, and that's kind of that's when I uh, I started walking up, and then you guys you like signaled. 
you like signaled me like, hey, come on. And I was like, did you did you shoot something? And you're like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> and I was like, awesome. So um, super stoked. That was uh, definitely that was a highlight because I was I was very stoked for your dad, especially like when we got up on the deer and saw like he, he laid eyes on it because to backtrack a little, he had been kicking himself all the previous day. Oh, yeah. Like. AJ, that's, all, that's all we heard. AJ's dad and I had, you know, <laughs> we we'd been chatting the whole trip, and like I could tell something was up because he was just like quiet all day, and I I knew uh, that he was like, man, I should have took that forky. I can't believe I passed that forky. So yeah. I think what the first thing, first words out of your mouth was, "Hey, what about that forky?" And he's like, yeah. "What forky?" <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up getting a. It was nice three by three. Yeah. Um, it was good, and it a lot of meat. Um, we took, once we began quartering it, uh, we got both shoulders off, uh, got the majority of the neck off, mm-hmm. the back hams, back strap. Uh, we couldn't get to the tenderloin though, cause, uh, it, it had like a little bit of a gut shot, so it was, it was not, not ideal. Yeah, the first shot was a little back, and then there was a follow-up shot once he walked up on it to finish it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of meat. A lot of meat. And then we did the whole, uh, surprisingly enough, I had better signal there than than I had in, <laughs> in the majority of the places, the <laughs> towns we stayed at, and uh, was able to look up some, some solid procedures. Because I want to make sure uh, the region we were hunting at was, it's not a, a region of concern, but it's uh, a region of monitoring for CWD. So I wanted to make sure that while we had, oh, look, alligator on a stick. Just rubs it in. Um, <laughs> just uh, we're, we're driving, by the way. Yeah. Justin keeps getting distracted. <laughs> I do. It's like the squirrel moment. But um, so, oh, yeah. So I saved a couple of the vertebrae, blah, blah, blah. We obviously took the, the skull or the head. Um but we felt pretty confident uh, there was still going to be game around because there was still probably like a good, I mean, we'd barely scratched the surface of what we had intended to hunt. We hadn't gotten to the, the spot that we, we set out for. We were on our way yeah. to it. So a uh, big shout out again to Allen Company for their game bags. We uh, we actually, the day before, we'd, we'd washed them and got them all ready. Actually, two days before. We washed them. A laundromat from the previous pack out and uh basically loaded those up and it was like we said cold and windy not as windy as the previous days but the wind did pick up and we found a nice tree really cool tree you go on instagram and you can see the picture there uh you'll see the mule deer head and and the game bags hanging up in the tree uh at harvesting nature and uh that's where we hung it for what probably like four hours yeah, a good four hours yeah. while we hunted the rest of that, that and area. And it was cool and dry, so we didn't have to worry about the meat. No, uh, it was perfect. Yeah. I mean, that, that morning, the water in my pack um, and the hose that runs from the pack above the shoulder, that, that froze on me. So, yeah. you know, we got there. It was in the, I think it was 21 we got mm-hmm. there. Um, and by that time, it was probably still, like, upper 30s. I mean, it was perfect. Makes you think about that road hunting, though. Windows down. Heaters up, <laughs> but no. Once yeah. we were moving around, it wasn't as bad. Um, 
so it, it was it was more comfortable um i think so one thing about the allen game bags i was super impressed with is that there's like two loops at the top of the game bag so you have like your drawstring which is pretty sturdy cord and you have two loops at the top which i used the the cinch cord which is probably about it was almost two feet long 18 inches two feet and that's what uh, I looped it through those bags and created just kind of a, a cinch knot, and that's what we used. We didn't have to use any paracord or anything extra. We used paracord yeah. for the head, but we just looped it from antler to antler and then hung it in the tree. But uh, hung it high enough that no predators or, or cats or anything could get to it. So, uh, And there it stood. So also, funny thing, while we were quartering up, uh, I peeked over the hill with my binos because we were all like, you gotta be very cognizant, especially like that, because you get you get animals to circle back around sometimes, and uh, that was my concern is that big mule deer, the other mule deer would come around, and we were just like there, oh hey, you know, cutting up your buddy, but um, and not notice him and not get a shot off. Um, but in that, in one moment, I glassed uh, probably a hundred yards away, and I saw three hunters who looked like they were stalking antelope that were. Ah, it was probably 200 yards away between us and them. Uh, I don't think they'd saw us because we were kind of down in a little divot. But whenever I, yeah. s- whenever I stood up, you know, I had my blaze orange hat on. And, and I think they realized, like, oh. Then in that same exact viewpoint, about another, like, 400 yards past them was a silhouette of another three groups of hunters. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe this spot is getting a little more pressure. But. Uh, I think most of those guys were there for antelope. Yeah. We never got a, we never got a chance to talk with them. We did cross within like twenty yards of uh of one guy, but he just kind of waved. Uh, he didn't seem very. He looked tired. He was yeah. coming back, and he looked tired and a little beat up, and waved. And um, I just don't think he was in a talkative mood. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big shout out to those two guys. Uh, if you do listen to this podcast, and you're two young gentlemen from Ohio that ran into us. Um and gave us advice on going over after these mule deer. Yep, we're in a white F one fifty. Yep, uh, with the trailer. Yep, and uh, you guys were going down to uh, where are they going? They're going for beers in some city. I forget where, but well deserved beer after the hike out. Yeah, uh, but yeah, thanks guys, because that was was what we call a hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have been in there in that. We probably. Man, who knows? I doubt we would have made it there because there's a lot of land up there. But uh, definitely led to AJ's dad's success in that location. So pretty stoked. So thanks, yeah. guys. And that was our sixth tag filled uh, in four days. Yep. Yep. Including the antelope. So if uh, if you guys are listening to this, shoot me shoot shoot us an email and say hey. Um, and uh, well, we got some thank you some thank yous to get back so uh fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. 
so we spent the rest of the day. We had a couple spots that we like identified pretty early on. It was like, hey, we should go look at these spots. Um, and they were essentially like in this slowly gentle sloping rolling field. There were some small ravines and cutouts where uh, it was sloped enough and rocky enough that there wasn't grass growing there as much, but there were pines. And uh, it was kind of the perfect spot because they were out of the wind. They were cut out. Like it wouldn't be something if you were just walking the plains, you know, a normal predator you wouldn't see. You wouldn't see deer bedded down in there. There were some bushes, sagebrush, all that stuff like that. So uh, we go walking through some of those. And as we get to one particular area, uh, I glance over and see a nice mature 3 by 3 4 by 4 2 by 2 Eight by eight, <laughs> whatever he was. It was mature deer. He had antlers. <laughs> I had a buck tag. <laughs> he was bigger than the forky we saw earlier. Yeah. Uh, was standing at the fence line. He was probably, I think at that point he was 200, 300 yards, no, 220 yards from me. And I had an issue like putting around in the chamber on the gun, which caused a few crucial seconds to not be able to uh to get crosshairs on him before he hopped the fence so then he hopped the fence but the fence line was on well, a ridge i think i'd explain why i had an issue chambering around i had an issue chambering the round because of the the uh flip caps on the scope they had these two little drop I don't know, what do you call them, like tabs? A tab. A tab. Flip it open. Yeah, Yeah, to like push up with your thumb and flip it open. Not the press, not the spring, the hinged and spring ones where it's automatic, where you hit the red button and it just pops up. These you had to like put a thumb under, push towards you on the back part of the scope, and it would pop up, which is great because they're solid for like protecting and rain stuff, but because you have to kind of pull them towards you, it'll like pop off. But the way it was set... Uh, whenever you pulled the um, when you pulled the slide back or the bolt back on the gun, you you'd pull it and you'd hit that. Mm-hmm. And so once you got past it, and then you'd hit it again coming back in. So you'd have to remember to flip it up. Well, in that moment, um, I didn't remember to flip it up first, and I wasn't expecting to see a deer in that exact position. Um, so that kind of jammed me up, and it, it cost me like a second or two that, that I could have had a, a closer shot. So and then, suspiciously, you lost that cap on the last hunt of the season. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what happened to uh-huh. it. So, oops. <laughs> um, it was I was using AJ's rifle too. One of his rifles. That way, I didn't have to travel up from Florida with with one of mine because I already had a bunch of bags and camp gear and stuff like that. So, so that buck jumped that fence, and uh, I uh, I started moving because there was a ridge. The fence was on a ridge line. Uh, a small ridge, not like a huge ridge. I would just call it a hill, more yep. likely. Uh, and so I started basically like booking it towards that spot because I knew the next hill over was a was within view, but wouldn't be if I pop if I crested that little area. I could get a good shot from the fence line. So um, as I worked my way up. And got set up by the fence. He was at that point probably 240 yards away. So a little further. And it would have been a shot I would have taken. But the wind had picked up again. Mm -hmm. 
and it was probably a cross breeze about 30, 25, 30 miles an hour. That's pretty strong, yeah. Yeah. So, a little bit of a squirrely shot, not going to not gonna play that game, um, so I didn't. And then he, he was gone, and, and we essentially, we got on him one more time uh, and jumped him from another spot. Uh, but same situation, just two, this, this time it was even further. It was like 330 yards yeah. uh, across the next little gap. And uh, so just another not comfortable shot. So uh, unfortunately, a small, I think in baseball, was an, a small error cost me an opportunity to shot. But um, it's all right. Um, it happened. So No, we saw, aside from him, he was with about five or six doe and fawn. And then hunting those ravines further up, those different fingers, and we jumped deer every time. We found yeah. they're all doe and fawn. Even some antelope in there, too, were surprised. And um, that's where I found two more sheds. Um, yep. So definitely good habitat, definitely you know, animals in the area. That's what I, I think, and we mentioned. I mentioned this yesterday, sort of as I was thinking, like finding the sheds in those spots, especially like this late in the year. Uh, it's a good sign that th- that area is not getting a lot of pressure both during the initial part of hunting season and, and during like any shed hunters out there. So uh, it, w- it was good to see that. And it just indicates that's a good habitat for them, like you just mentioned. Uh, we had lunch at a place we dubbed the Pizza Oven. It was this cool little rock feature with, uh, I'm guessing, what is a natural cutout? I don't know if that would be. I, gu- I guess it was natural. I don't know why a human would make that. Yeah, uh, it's it's basically it looks like a an Italian wood fired pizza oven, and in the center there's this hole. It would fit a jet boil perfect. Yep. It's only about you know maybe eighteen inches high, you know a foot wide and about a foot deep. Um, but inter- if it is naturally created, it's uh, pretty neat. Yeah, I, the only thing I think is like maybe there was a a hole or something at some point, and just like over time, yeah, froze and. Uh, water got in there and froze and just back and forth, back and forth. But um, interesting thing, geology. Um, but so after that, we pretty much like wrapped up our day because we were into the afternoon. We knew we had to pack out the meat and get back. And so our our biggest thought for the next day was the fact that weather was moving in from the north. Uh, some like Arctic snowy weather. And we didn't know how far south it was going to push into Wyoming, if it was going to make it. So we were in central Wyoming, if it was going to make it to where we were, if it was going to stall, like, north of us. Um, So our concern was if the roads got a little mucky and and us getting back in there. So we shifted shifted further to the north. But uh, we also, because we had planned to camp, we had closed out our hotel reservation and they didn't have anything else available for a day or two. So we had to shift up to another town, which was still within our region because we had a big a big tag, um, one of the general tags. And uh, that forced us to take some look at some other land. So now we're, we're kind of s- scouting and hunting again for that day. And uh, the, the part that we chose was some state land. This is the next day. So picture we're fast-forwarding now an overnight Saturday. Um, Saturday. Yeah. So now we're at Saturday morning, and uh, it's snowing. 
and we chose a piece of land that was easily accessible. It was about another two-and-a-half-mile hike in. It was, but it's a 1,000 feet elevation gain. Yep, but it was a a two-track, but it was Wyoming State land, so it was closed to vehicular traffic. Mm -hmm. So that meant that only hunters on foot were getting back there. So we were the first ones on the spot in the morning, and we were out there, like trekking in the snow. Um, It was still a little windy and snowy, and we saw our first two doe at like the two mile mark about 600 yeah. yards away very hard to see with but, the snow yeah. in the air visibility was uh very limited you can only see maybe uh 400 yards maybe 500 um and, so it's hard to really we're hoping to, to jump them so we walked that river bottom all the way up yeah um which had cover but not as much as as I think they, they wanted, especially once we got back further in the land and we realized, oh, yeah. like, we're in big hills with big pines. And, like, it was more, it was elk country, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we later ran into guys who were targeting for elk, and we heard elk bugles back there, mm-hmm. which was pretty encouraging. Uh, it it butt, butted up to the National Forest. Um, so it was literally like you're walking this plain, and there's hills and all kinds of stuff throughout. And then, all right, you start to get some more rigid hills and you see pines and then all of a sudden it's just like boom there's the side of the mountains and it's the national forest and you're like oh hey uh we didn't go into the national forest we stayed on the state land but um we definitely got within the vicinity of it and i think otherwise despite the challenges of visibility and the cold and the snow uh we probably would have seen more deer there was a lot of sign back there ton of rubs Oh, yeah. All over the place. Some, I mean, some probably from elk, but a lot from mule deer as well. Um, it was just a good spot. I, w- I would love to see that spot when there was not snow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part was pretty neat. Um, and then we headed south. Yeah. And we, then got, we, we got word that um, our original motel had uh, available rooms, so we, we grabbed that up. And uh, went back south to uh, near, I say near, it's probably 15 miles away from my dad took his deer. And really was exploring, looking at new country. Um, we did spot a couple doe once we got some ravines, take it out and hike a little bit, check it out. Um, That's where I spotted the forky. Yeah. So, and he was a forky that was like dead. Somebody had shot him and... uh. It was all bloated and just laying there. So it, it's hard in those situations. You're just like, I mean, you don't want to see deer wasted, but it's obviously you don't know what time, how long it's been there. You don't want to go through that whole ordeal. But it's just like you get into the whole thought of like wasted animals and if somebody did see it, because like we later discovered like 50 yards over from where it was, there was a two-track. So it's very possible that somebody was driving that two-track jumped him and shot him there and, and he fell because he he was like lung shot too like he had a yeah. big hole he had a big hole in his side i mean eight inches by six inches i mean that deer wasn't going more than uh 50 yards after it got hit so yeah and i think it was probably the night before because not even the coyotes got it yet nothing had had it it was you know just laying there um 
you know, bloated, was in rigor, um, but, you know, just wasteful. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was definitely a bummer to see. Um, we did kind of move around another little spot uh, a little further down that road by about a half mile, try to get on where some watering holes were, uh, and then work some of the ridge lines. We worked a lot of the ridge lines. We did. We uh, saw a lot of hunters. Um, bumped a nice antelope buck. Yep. Um, and that's a spot where going in, we saw a herd of wild horses. <laughs> it's, not, it's not funny. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not the one to laugh. <laughs> saw a herd of like 30 wild horses. Like, oh, cool horses. And took some pictures, some video. And parked my truck on the side of the road. And I uh, went in and hunted. It came back out. So coming back out from maybe half mile away, you see the horse are just all around my truck. I'm like, well, it's windy, you know, maybe there's, it's a windbreak for them. There's, you know, there's some heat on the engine, sort of hanging around. And we get up there and then um, just walking towards the truck, they saw us and they, uh, they, they, you know, they kind of scared off the spook. They ran away. Um, and we got to the truck and the horses had been leaving noticeable sign of licking the windows and one mirror was folded in in the right way thankfully they didn't break it off and i thought ah whatever you know i had cows do this before this kind of lick it and they're curious and whatever so didn't think much and then the next day um yeah i washed my truck hose it off um just get all the dirt and, and muck and mud off the outside and noticed that some of the horses were actually biting my truck and on the hood, there's like three or four spots they bit down through the paint right to the metal. Oh. Um, one That's area is a little dent. And then in my uh, my toolbox on my bed, horse bit that as well, right down to the metal. So I don't know why the horse would bite the truck. Um, curiosity or what. But uh, yeah, so another hot tip uh, don't park near wild horses. Um, <laughs> if you do, uh, you know, fold your mirrors in and don't be surprised if you have some damage on your vehicle. I still can't. It, it's it's not a funny scenario, but it's just odd. It's so odd. But, um, yeah, so that closed out the next, that day. And, and we, over the course of those two days, uh, probably put in close to 20 miles. Between 15 and 20 miles of hiking. Those two days together? Yep. Yeah, they were uh, pretty strenuous days. And packing meat yeah. and all that other stuff. And not to mention Walking in snow and mud. We'd, yeah. we'd packed meat two days before uh, we packed AJ's dad's mule deer out. We packed AJ's antelope buck out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd been pretty much just going. Um, so we, we were pretty beat by the end of the day. We were a little like frustrated we had one more day left um we were going to kind of the plan was to take it easy well the weather wasn't great either the weather was was not great. they're calling for more well coming out coming out that night it started to rain and i got a little uneasy because you're 30 miles in on these these dirt roads that don't do well and with water Mm -mm. and didn't feel like being stuck in the back country but thankfully uh the roads held up we get out and we're, we're fine but I thought, you know, the next day, it's the last day of the trip. I don't want to mess around with that. I want to go back there and deal with that, take a chance to get the truck stuck, get delayed a couple of days or whatever. So we changed strategy and hunted some areas we had not yet been to. Yep. 
So the plan was there are two main, like, I guess two-lane highways. Is that what you call these? Where? Like these roads. Two yeah. lanes. Yeah. Which, two lanes, yeah. So two-lane highways uh, running out. They kind of split off at one point. So we picked some one-by-one pieces of state land that were at some river bottoms uh, because in that particular area of our tag, so it was divided up into subsections, in that particular section we could take any antlered deer. Um, so that was mule deer or whitetail, and we found out most common, we found out through time whitetail are most common in the river bottoms. So that was sort of our strategy uh we also split up um which aj's dad played like the runner between the two of us with the truck and my cell service was very spotty the whole time so we had radios uh they would use and then i like my thing was they dropped me off right at shooting light i would work as far back and around into this piece of state land um which was like a mile by mile and would then be back at the gate by 9.30 so that I'd get picked up. So this state land was different than all the other state land we had hunted because it had roads on it. And I, I don't think we realized that when we picked it uh, because when I was unloading my gear, getting ready to go, a guy pulled up and he's like, hey, how's it going? And he thought it was somebody else, so he asked if I was going to go sit in the back, and I was like a little confused, but I was like, well, I'm going to go work that area over there. He's like, oh, well. He's like, oh, you're somebody different. He's like, well, I just sit over there on that little bluff by the river. And I was like, all right, cool. Sounds great. So I, you know, get my pack, wait for sunset to come up, finish my coffee. And uh, I, I take off. And I, I work a good bit of this land and uh, saw a herd across the highway on some agricultural land, which the guy had told me they, they cross over. But he didn't tell me that they tend to cross over at the river, not the ridges where I was. Um, but I was looking for animals bedded down and, and moving from those fields back over into the ridge lines, uh, which I did not find. I found some sage grouse. I found um, a lot of sign, but not a lot of deer. And then I jumped one white-tailed doe uh, as I was coming back, and as was, I was working my way back down a, a dry creek bed that split this property, and my plan was to push to the north, and I ran into someone's truck. And also there had been, I'd seen three or four trucks work in the back area, just like driving around road hunting. So uh, needless to say, it was about 10 minutes until it was, AJ's dad was going to show up at the gate to pick me up. So I got back to the gate and I called him and he was on the phone with AJ, but I will let AJ tell his morning version and then I'll follow up with my, the continuation yeah, of our, our light day. Our light day. Um, yeah, well, you were off doing that. I was at a chunk of state land about five miles away and had a, a river on it that I intended to cross, check out the back side of it, because my thought was, well, the harder thing to do is to cross the river, and there's a lot of great mule deer habitat behind it. It's rolling hills with pines, and guys aren't going back there, so it may, it may not be disturbed. So I took some extra contractor bags, those thick contractor bags with me in my pack, and at first slide, you know, we dropped Justin off first. My dad dropped me off there later. I checked out the area on the side of the river I, I entered on. And then once there was nothing there that I could see, um, probably like an hour later, um, I looked for a spot to cross the river. 
And, um, you know, my pack on, the rifle, my shoulder, I had a, um, a monopod that I used for a, a wading stick that Justin actually found earlier in the trip. Um, and with two contractor bags on, this river was about um, uh, maybe 20 feet wide and deepest spot was maybe just above my knee and not moving very fast and so not difficult. But it's water and it's 28 degrees outside, so you don't want to fall in. It could get in trouble. Um, so wade across that and bags held up pretty good except the very end, the one on my right foot had a little leak. Um, so right foot got a little wet, nothing serious. Um, and I had to change the socks if we needed it, but I, I didn't. So then I hunted up the back um, and, you know, saw some sign, some elk sign. Um, and I ran into some other hunters across the river. And turns out that they were from uh, Minnesota and they brought waders and they waded across that river and hunted the backside of it. So um, plan was uh, was changed because there was pressure back there. Uh, the one guy had shot a, a forky earlier that morning. I heard the shot and, and that was him. And the other guy saw a nice big bull elk in the back. He was up in the in the hills of the pines. Um, and I just continued to work that all the way to the back corner until I got to some BLM land, worked that as well. And, uh, you know, I go up and down the hills and ravines, and I'm pretty beat up. And I thought, okay, that's that's it. I'll, I'll turn around and head back. And, uh, you know, call my dad and so pick me up about an hour at the road and work my way back out and across the river. Uh, this time crossing, had a major leak in my uh, left bag. Um, and so I was wet from the knee down, boot soaking wet. Um, and it's, you know, 28, 29 degrees out, not great. Um, so I took the boot off, dumped the water out of it, uh, kind of rang out, uh, you know, my sock, my pants, and uh, put it back together and uh, hurried back to the road. Um, one thing I will say is that I, I wear a lot of first light gear, and merino wool is, is warm, wet, or dry. You always hear that. Um, and it, it, it was warm, even wet, being 28 degrees. Um, I wouldn't want to stop, but as I was moving, I was, I was warm and, and wasn't cold. Um, so I didn't plan to do that, because uh, now I got back at the truck and uh, had no pants and no boots. And, uh, and then uh, I'll let Justin take over with the uh, second half of his morning on our easy day. So, um, essentially what happened is that when I got back to the gate of the property I was at, I called AJ's dad. Uh, and I was like, hey, I'm done like five minutes early. If you want to head over this way, he's like, oh, I'm sitting here and I'm watching deer. But I don't know if they're on public land or private land or what. Because he, he didn't have Onyx on his phone. And um, I was like, well, where's AJ? He's like, oh, he's like a mile away from here. And I was like, well, okay. Uh, I guess come over and get me and we'll come take a look. So he comes over and gets me. And we, like, raced back over. It was probably two or three miles from where I was at, back closer to where AJ was. And uh, it was a parcel of state land that was split by the highway. And it was just a little corner that was on the, on the east side and a big chunk on the west side that was had private land to the south and BLM land to the northwest. So... Uh, essentially, like, we drove back that way. Obviously, didn't see the deer, but AJ's dad told me where they, they came across one. Which So they came across state land, Then there was a gap of a sliver where there was private land, and then the road. He said they didn't jump over that, but they were walking the fence. So the fence they were walking was public land. 
and then they went under the bridge, which was still, oddly enough, public land, uh, to the other side, which was private land. And so he showed me where, and we're like, okay, no big deal. So we cruised back over to where AJ's at and call him, and he's like, I'm still back here. Like, give me 30 minutes. And so uh, I told AJ's dad, I was like, let's just go back down there where where the deer went because they crossed from the big parcel uh, on the west side of the road to the east side. So there was a little triangle of river bottom there. I was like, I'll go, I'll go poke around that for 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll go get AJ. So as I'm poking around that, uh, I ran into another hunter kind of on the back. We didn't talk or anything. I saw him from about 100 yards away. But uh, so I just backed out and went back to the road. And I was walking down the road, and AJ's dad starts waving at me from the truck. And I was like, "What's going on?" And he's like, "There's a buck over there at that ridge." And so I look, and on the west side of the property, the state land like pinches the road. There's a gate, but it pinches the road, and there's a ridge right there. And at that ridge, there's like, I don't know. Again, I think he was a a, a wide two by two he could have been a uh, two by three or a three by three or whatever but uh i knew he was a big bodied deer and so i was like all right so uh i crossed over to where the gate was and i was watching him still trying to get to the ridge and he was also watching me so uh i fiddled with the gate kind of got caught up in the gate getting through it um and once i got through it onto the state land the deer had kind of retreated a little bit but then he came back and by that time i was uh, once again, like 220 yards away. So like, that's kind of my, my questionable spot for that. But what made it questionable that day, there was no wind or anything. Uh, it was a skyline shot. So he was on that ridgeline and, and skyline below him was where the road was. So I didn't want to, I was not going to take that shot. And I had about a 10 second window where I could have taken that shot, but I didn't, but I saw what was with him was a doe. And the doe started working her way up that ridge line, and so he did as well. And I kind of followed him to a point with my uh, scope to where I realized he was on a trajectory as if, if I went up the side of this ridge, which this was a very steep ridge with shale and all kinds of stuff on it, that I could probably intersect them or at least uh, close the distance and not have a skyline shot. So I started working my way up this ridge, and like I said, shell pine cones pine needles snow there was still a lot of snow on the ground from the days before um so i had to fight through all that mess and ended up at one point realizing i'm closing in on them but also making a ton of noise and movement and if they're at the crest of the ridge where they can see me they're going to spook so i decided against moving up the ridge and i just tracked down to the point in which they crossed the fence and i picked up their tracks uh and started following them. And it was about 50 yards that I spotted the doe. And then I spotted the buck next to her. Uh, he had his ass towards me. And so I was just watching him. And then he looked back. They kind of spotted me. And uh, he looked again. And then gave me a nice, like, left broadside. And comfortable. Put my shot. Boom. Um... Initially, in that moment, I thought that maybe my shot was bad because him and the doe just kind of like pranced off. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem right because I'm confident in my shooting. Like, I'm a, I'm a good shot. Uh, I've obviously been shooting that same rifle over the course of like the past four days. Uh, I took two antelope with it. 
So it shouldn't be any issue with the rifle. shouldn't be any issue with me. Uh, it was probably no more than a 60, 75, 80 yard shot, maybe at the most. And um, like, no, no problem. So uh, I get to the spot where they were because I'd watched them run down the hill and there was no blood there. Uh, I did pick up the tracks and start moving down. So I was at the top of this ridge. Now I'm working my way west down the property and I see a doe, which I later realized was the doe he was with kind of to the northern part. So they had separated and he kept going. I was like, well, I get to this big bowl where it's all open. Uh, it's a s slow slope up to the next ridge, like very wide, probably 200, would you say 200, 300 yards wide? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't see him, but I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep working. I'll see if I can pick up some sign or some blood or whatever. And then probably about 100 yards away, he jumps up out of these two cedar trees and starts hauling ass across the ridge to the next ridge and uh, doesn't stop at any point to where I can get a good shot at him. And um, he moves essentially all the way to the top of like this little basin at the next ridge. And then looking at it, it's like a shale slope. And then this little basin there. And then I can see to the right, to the left, and above and below where he's at. So I'm like, all right, this is a good spot for me because he, I believe he had been laying down, which means I'd hit him. Um, so I think I just like spooked him again. And so he goes up to the top and I, you know, he's not moving. He had stopped at that point. He got up to that high point and stopped. So I start working my way up. Uh, I closed about 200 yards. I'm like halfway up the adjacent ridge and I see him crest over the shale. Well, luckily enough, it was still really wet out, uh, from the snow and the rain and all that wintry mix that I was getting bogged down in the dirt. So I knew that he was going to as well. So, uh, as I crest this ridge, I, um, I, I follow his tracks over the ridge and down to the next big bowl. And it's, it's once again, this part, it's kind of like a big open slope that goes back out into the creek bottom. Just all sagebrush and grass and stuff. So I do lose his tracks at one point in there. Uh, but I start using my Onyx to mark like tracks uh, and everything as I go. Because I'm like, all right, from here he can either go back around to where we came from around this ridge, which is probably unlikely, or he can track further away from me to the northwest. Uh, so I was like, I kind of started zigzagging in a big wide and the further away I got from that initial point where I crossed the ridge, the wider I got, um, that way I could pick up any sign and, and it had rained the night before. So I knew there wasn't going to be a lot of tracks and I knew which direction he would be going generally. And that would help me sort of track him. And I got probably, I'd say a hundred yards from where. I got his last bit of tracks at the base of that dirt ridge and I found blood and then tracks and then blood and then tracks. And I continued to use the Onyx and I tracked him for probably another 100 or 200 yards until my worst dream came true. I hit a private fence, uh, a, a boundary. And so from there, uh, I saw that he had jumped the fence. There was blood on the other side. There was tracks on the other side. And there was a creek bottom on the other side. So my only assumption was that he went through this creek bottom and was gone. So now at this point, I'm a mile and a half back in this property. Um, 
so AJ and his dad at that point, his dad has gone to pick up AJ, and um, so they were waiting for me at the road. So I hiked back out, retold the story, blah, blah, blah. AJ's dad had heard the shot as well, so they were sort of anticipating me having a deer. Uh, told the story, and so the next strategy was that using Onyx, uh, well, first step was there were some hay storage areas that were on that property that were a little ways down the road that I noticed people were using heavy equipment on earlier. So I went over and like we stopped at the gate and I like waved at the guy and he came over and I was like, Hey, you know, you're the owner of that land. He's like, Nope. Uh, he's like, he lives over there in that red house. Uh, go, go ask him. Cause I told him the story and we got over to the driveway to the red house. And there was a big, no hunting, no trespassing sign. So we're like, ah, we're just not going to, we're not going to go that route. So then, um, I, I saw the, that the, it was a ranch name, like an LLC. So I got on Google and started Googling and found a phone number, called, uh, got the, the name that matched the property, uh, their answering machine. So I left them an answering machine, like telling them like, Hey, I was hunting here, uh, this property and the deer i blood trailing went over the fence and is in this so really trying to to get in touch with them and, and our plan was like well, well we'll just hope that uh they get in contact and before we get back to town and then we kind of had some other strategies uh because aj had to go back and get dry pants as he said he was wet so we couldn't do anything more anyway even if they called and gave us permission so we ran back to town on the way into town we hit the check station uh for the hunters with fishing game, the biologists, the wardens, all those people. So, um, we popped in there. First off, every experience I've had with Wyoming fishing game, uh, has been awesome and positive and they're just great people except for one year in Sheridan. But how many have you had? Uh, three, (laughs) three total experiences out of the three years. Every year I go, I get to talk to a warden or a biologist, (laughs) all good, never causing any trouble. Just like, uh, we happen to come across them in the field, which is great because we get to pick their brain, uh, which is, is super awesome. But in this moment, uh, it was extremely helpful because I was talking to one of the wardens and told her the story, and she referred me to the local biologist who was there who then talked to the other local warden who was there who knew the person that owned the land. So they called. Uh, we waited around, grabbed a cheeseburger, all this stuff. They called the landowner and got me permission to go cross onto that land. And uh, our only agreement was that I would send, I would, they would monitor, monitor me remotely uh, via my Onyx track, which I would send them later. Because I I'd showed them where I tracked all the blood. We, we kind of compared Onyx. Uh, they took the position, sent it to the warden. He was able to explain to the landowner. It was like, it was huge. I think just as much as our first trip, Onyx played a huge role. Uh, it continues to play a role. Um, so really, I, I love that the um, you know fishing game actually use that that tool uh, all the time. And, yeah. And, and basically, you not ask the hunters to use it, but it's almost expected that hunters haven't used it because she had told you you know turn on your onyx. She didn't ask you do you have onyx. It well, was, she, it was almost assumed. She knew because I had showed her earlier. Oh. Uh, because okay. I gave her the point and we compared. The last, the where the on the fence line, I got the last bit of blood, and that's what she sent to uh, to the, the other warden. Okay, I, I must have missed that. I, at that time, I didn't have pants on, so. Yep, 
I wasn't catching everything. Um, which is which is fine. It's probably better that way. <laughs> um, so anyway, now fast forward. AJ goes and we he changes his pants. We all get refreshed. We drop items out of our pack because like now we're all right. We got permission to go in. We're we're gonna be on the trail. We got six hours till sundown. Like this deer was bleeding a lot uh, from when I was tracking him. So I was like, it should be like. It should be a good shot. Bright red, like spots of blood. You know, it was pretty reliable. Um, so we go back. We hike back in the mile and a half because uh, they told us we, we could only access the land from the same point where he crossed the fence, which is fine. Perfectly A-OK. So we do that and start tracking him. And um, I've tracked a good amount of game in my life. This was it was challenging. Uh, it was a challenging track because you had a combination of like the creek bottom that he was in and out of the sagebrush that he would brush up against or not, uh, spots of dirt, not to mention it was dry. The snow had melted. So we weren't getting the ease of having the blood on the snow. So we just kind of moved through it. And I think it took a, well, we, we tracked that area for like two hours. Uh, a good two hours. Yep. Um, we did a great job tracking it. Thank you. Um, and plus you have those little red flowers in the ground. Yeah, those were annoying. aggravating. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was a really good blood trail. And, you know, you'd find blood on the ground. You'd find it on sagebrush to put off the ground. You'd find it on some grasses, you know, two, three feet off the ground up high. So I mean, we were feeling really good following this trail that it was going to lead to uh, a dead deer any minute. Yeah. Every chance I looked, every moment I looked up, I was like, oh, I just expected to see him like mm-hmm. laying there. Um, so we did not find the deer. Uh, we actually ran out of blood and what happened was we crossed a small corner of the public or the private land onto back onto BLM land and, uh, kept working our way up in this bowl. And it was like this big, huge bowl with like high ridges, like vertical walls there was only we're like there's no way he's like if he goes in here we're definitely going to find him uh because it was probably like 400 yards wide you know we're glassing everywhere there's a creek bottom in there so the last bit of blood that we get to um is a patch in the creek bottom and some tall grass and the grass isn't laid over like he was laying there but he could have laid there but it was not spotted blood like it'd been before it was probably the size of a softball uh, worth of blood and and my hypothesis is that he laid down because that was the first time we'd seen any indication that he laid down he started slowing previously to that the the indentions on his tracks weren't deep he wasn't scared he was moving slower he's kind of like zigzagging in and out of the creek bottom um but man there was so much blood i thought it was it was fatal like it just as we but by the way um, we got to that spot and that was the last bit of blood and it was just a big, not pool. It was dried already. Um, it wasn't a lot. I think he just laid there, had enough time that the blood coagulated and maybe it was a high wound. I don't know where, but after that, when we got there, the deer was not there. We never jumped him. No. And there was a good, like hour and a half two hour window from the time that i last spotted where he was or when i spotted the blood at the fence line before i left to the time that we got permission and got back over there 
So there was enough time for him to get up, continue on, go lay down, you know, sleep it off, do whatever, and then keep going. Like, granted, it's a gunshot, so it's not like he's completely healed. But uh, I think the probability of him surviving is probably pretty high if, if the blood just stopped and then he didn't die. I think die. it's worth mentioning, too, that you found the end of the trail. Because where he either laid down or stopped and rested, we find that the final spot of blood, that softball-sized spot of blood, it was in the bottom of a ravine with very high grass, thick grass all around it. If he was still bleeding, no matter what direction he went in, you would have seen it. Yeah. And we checked that spot for a long time, and we couldn't find anything, any trace of blood anywhere around that. So I, I agree. I think he stopped bleeding there, and um, he went on his way. And he, he very well may survive that. It may not have been a mortal wound. Well, it's just, man, it's such a hard feeling, too. It's like... One, I don't want to. I don't want to see an animal suffer. I'm. I'm like every other hunter that wants a quick death. Like, obviously, I wanted it shot where I shot it at. I could have just pulled it over the ridge and slid it down the other side of the hill, you know, to where the the road was. And just the the whole scenario just kind of sucked. You played a million times in your head over and over. Like, what could I've done? What could I've done different? You know, all throughout the thing, you're tracking. You're like frustrated. You're stressed. It's just like the ordeal of having to go talk to the wardens to get permission. Like, I know I didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I was doing, you know, right. I I was avoiding an instance of, like, wanton waste to go out out of the way. And they even told me, like, most people would have just left it and went on. I was like, well, I I don't believe in that. Like, that's that's just a deer out there. No, Uh, they definitely thanked you. They're really happy with the way you approached it and and, uh, what you were doing. Yeah, I just it's it is a bummer, but um, you know that's unfortunately the way it goes sometimes. So now I'll just continue to replay the scenario in my head. Just as the ones that you lose, you remember in vivid detail forever. Yeah. Um, and then the ones that you get, and yeah, you remember them, but there's something about the ones that you lose. They almost they almost haunt you in a way forever. You replay it, and those are the ones that always are top of mind. Um, I still have some from you know years and years ago. I still remember um, that are much more vivid than yeah. the ones I've taken. Yeah. So, um, and then that sort of that was our easy day. We ended up doing an, another like <laughs> in addition to each of us hiking three miles on our own, we put in another three and a half miles. Another three with that big incline decline. Yep. Oh, and I found another shed back there. And AJ found another yep. shed, of course. In a spot where we had passed shed hunters, yeah. which I, I want to I want to mention that too. I, I don't think they did, but it just like it's an interesting concept because uh, when we were on the bit of private land, they approached us from the public land side, kind of like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And um, AJ told them the story, told them we were tracking, and asked if they'd seen any deer, and they're like, "Oh, we just saw one. It was way back there in the back on the BLM land, but it it was just a deer, and somebody cut the antlers off." And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> well, these guys didn't have any antlers. Um, we weren't very good shed hunters because <laughs> we passed sheds that they walked by. But, uh, I mean, regardless, like, it's a, it's a bummer situation. But it, it kind of sucked to close out the the hunt that last day with that. But in the end, that's you, that's, you live for. Lessons learned for next time. Um, and... I don't know. Overall, still, I think a successful trip. Like AJ said, 
we filled we filled six six of our eight tags um, in a essentially a, a seven day period. Yeah, very close to seven tags. Yeah, very close. So uh, got to help AJ's dad get the experience of shooting his first mule deer. So that was super rewarding and be there for that experience and, and pack it out and all that. So I'm still really happy with the trip. Just super bummed at kind of the the end result. But this evening I had to cook some delicious antelope tacos yeah. at AJ's house. So um, I'm excited for that opportunity and glad I got to bring two antelope home. So uh, I think that, that closes out our adventure. Do you have any last thoughts? Uh my last thought would be uh, thanks for the experience. It was a great week hunting. Um, yeah. Had a great time, um, and I think we, I think we killed it, given the yeah. weather and all the challenges. I think we did a fantastic job. Yep, um, I agree, one hundred percent. My last thought being that super awesome, great trip. A little bummed, but overall very happy. Uh, slow down. Take your time on your shots. Don't rush things if you don't have to. Don't make bad shots. Not saying that I made a bad shot. You never know what happens, but not shooting in those moments where I questioned is better than shooting in those moments where I questioned and, and having bad things happen. So, um, other than that, that's it. Uh, if you don't already follow us on social media, Harvesting Nature, all major social media platforms, whatever podcast platform you listen to, go hit that five-star button. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. And then also, um, don't forget about that podcast 20 code over at the store. Get you 20% off. So anyway, thanks, everyone. Have a good night. go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.